Okay, well, here's a podcast then, I suppose. Yeah. Not that I'm yeah. bitter or anything. It's I, a podcast. Do you, uh, do you reckon we could make less of a f*** up of this podcast than United did of defending last night? Yeah. i tell you what, Ed. Let's not do preamble. You've done really good, proper, actual football analysis. Oh, dear, no. Let's just, no. Let's just start, start with... The the brilliant Twitter thread you just put out. Um, <laughs> what went wrong with the three goals that Manchester oh United conceded? God. Oh my god! I watched it again because not the whole game. I might add, I'm not that uh, masochistic. Um, you know, not normally. Anyway, and and I just thought, well, I'm going to watch the goals again because I remember them being just ridiculous in real time. Uh, and so I did, and they're even worse if it's possible. It. Like, I don't think, and I was, let's be clear, a really bad footballer. I don't think I'd have made these mistakes. I don't think so. <laughs> um, anyway, so goal number one. I mean, it's uh, it, it's slow from... The thing with Leipzig is that um, they, they create these kind of high-pressure situations and, and they, uh, they flood the zone. Um, and that's what one of the reasons why they score so many goals, but also the one of the reasons why they concede quite a few. Um, but actually, all three of these goals are from, like, basic build-up play. You know, they're moving slowly. Mm. This is not moving the ball super quickly, and United are out of position as a result, and it's not in the transition, any of them. Um, anyway, so the first one's just a really simple ball from the right. It's moved around a bit before that, but nothing that United should be so out of shape. And he's just aiming at this kind of square I can't even remember who puts the ball in, but it's, you know, imagine a square in the penalty area, sort of centre spot-ish, and Forsberg's in there and he's running in between Wambazaka and um, and uh, Lindelof. Um, Maguire, for some reason, decides to, like, go towards the ball like a fly at a UV light. So he's completely out of position. And Wambazaka's decided to tuck in narrow in a back five. And even I, who don't really know anything about tactics, know that you don't need to do that because it's a back five. Um, anyway, so it's all a mess. It's like the whole, they're all strung out in a line and all pulled the wrong way. Um, and no one spots Angelino. And it's just so simple. It's just um, it's just bad, 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 bad. Um, the, the second one's pretty bad as well. And, you know, they, again, they move the ball left to right. I mean, it starts actually with this sweeping ball out to the right, to Hader. And it comes back out to the left. And it's just a simple chipped-in cross. And, yeah, I'm immediately thinking, like, where's Shaw? Where's Shaw? He's the left-sided centre-back. Where's Shaw? Shaw is, watch this again, in the centre of the pitch, ambling back. I mean, and when I say ambling, right, you know, you could have a 90-year-old COVID victim who'd be getting sweatier than Luke Shaw at this point. It's it's unbelievably bad. I remember watching that goal and thinking, um, like looking at the replays to see what was going on in the midfield before the ball comes in, because I think the defender's individual performance and the the systemic failures were a massive part of the story yesterday. But the fact that we had a double pivot of Matic and McTominay was just an utter disaster. So I was looking to kind of pin some blame on And normally when that happens. Well, yeah, quite. I was looking to pin some blame on them and then just saw Luke Shaw in that space being like, what are you doing there? Anyway, sorry. I mean, and then as a result of Shaw not being there, Telez, like, it comes inside. 
he's attracted to Shaw's man and no one's on Hader. I mean, it's just, it's so basic. And just, and, and Shaw causes these kind of problems all of the time. And so does yeah. Maguire, because he's always in that position. And so does Lindelof. In fact, they all have this problem. And it just gets me thinking, what the hell is going on at Carrington? There's so many goals that United concede of this kind of basic stuff where someone is not in the correct space. And, and it might be to, to do with the fact that they play a different system basically every game. Maybe it is. Mm. So. Mm. Yeah, so that, the first goal was Sabitzer that put the ball in. Not the most creative player, but um, Angelino's got four goals in the league and three goals in the Champions Well, two goals before yesterday in the Champions League already this season. You'd think somebody might have... like He's their top scorer yeah, in the league. Figured this You'd out. Think someone... Yeah might have spotted that and and like you say the thing was watching and going okay well okay this is what happens when the ball's out left there's space left on the right because everyone tucks over and then suddenly went we're playing five at the back <laughs> there's no like shouldn't shouldn't that partially compensate it, sh- for it this? should do and, and like all night uh well at least for the first 45 minutes they were able to overload in, in both fullback positions i mean they put angelino especially his starting position is basically like a winger. Yeah, he's mm. he's you know really high up on that left hand side, um, and they isolated uh, both Telez and Wenbazaka over and over again. Um, and yeah. and you know one of the things, and it's completely fair this criticism, but one of the criticisms of Oli is that he just doesn't react quick enough. I mean this this game this was a disgrace. Like this is like. Once we're 2-0 down within 20 minutes, you have to change, you have to make substitutes then. You have to go, well, we can't, there's no point spending the next 25 minutes with a back five and Matic and McTominay in this in a double pivot. It's utterly pointless now. We are 2-0 down. So the fact that he didn't make any changes until half time is wild in this particular case. But anyway, we've talked about the first two goals, which were a combination of bad coaching and really bad individual decision-making and some players falling into their usual Luke Shaw traps of being generally brain dead. Um, <laughs> now, now let's talk about... I mean, you said um, immediately after this happens, that's one of the worst pieces of defending I've ever seen in, I think it was in Europe or something that you'd said. And I was like... Another one of the worst pieces yeah, yeah, because yeah. three weeks ago that Istanbul goal oh. was the worst defending any of us have ever seen in our lives. Yeah, no, but no, that's Maguire, true. I mean, leaving, leaving no one at the back and ten up front um, when it's your own corner, bit of a mistake. I mean, this. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, look. If you've got absolutely rampant diarrhea, clench your butt cheeks. You know, it's like <laughs> you, you tighten up, don't you? And United were dribbling this down their legs. It was so bad. It was so bad. Um, but anyway, look, this one This one comes from, like, for once, United aren't, they're not out of shape, right, because they got the ball. Yeah. And, and Lindelof just plays this sloppy ball in front of Pogba, who's, who's he's, he's basically turned. Lindelof's got the ball. Pogba's turned, and he's thinking the ball's going forward. And so Lindelof just plays it into him, but it goes, just misses him, basically. Um, and and this is like like that ball from Lindelof deserves as much criticism as everything else that's about to happen. That is absolutely criminal. Criminal. Twenty minutes to go. You know, United are teetering on the edge, and it's it's just it's just so sloppy and lazy 
and unprofessional. And he does it far too often. And anyway, so Pogba's missed it. Not his fault. Um, and it's shifted around a bit before it gets out to Angelino. But again, it's slow, slow. They're not moving United out of shape. Um, and again, it's just a ball into space. You know, and and I, I've watched this. I, I just I put it over and over again because... When I said, oh, Maguire, it basically blamed Maguire on Twitter, I had a bunch of people going, oh, that's Dave's fault, that is. So I'm like, is it? Is it really? I mean, Maguire's left it. He he hasn't he hasn't got, I mean, maybe got a call. Maybe Dave goes, that's mine or whatever they say. And uh, then doesn't move. <laughs> and then doesn't move. Maybe. Maybe that's the explanation. <laughs> but I mean, I, I guess the, the other explanation, the other kind of, um, slight mitigation for Maguire is that most goalkeepers would come and claim that and Dave is so bad well he just doesn't come and claim that I don't blame blame Dave until it's like um, it's at the moment Maguire's missed it then Dave has to react yeah. a bit quicker because he's got to be thinking he's that boss is straight he's straight at him he doesn't have to break stride to clear that you know if in doubt launch it um, yeah, we all absolutely. learn that at school, right? <laughs> I mean, in playground, that's what you do. If in doubt, launch it. Uh, and yeah. that's what Maguire needed to do. And he had so much time, actually, he could have controlled it and passed it. But he inexplicably leaves it. And then Dave doesn't react and Clive nips in. Um, but it's easy. I mean, it's just it's just so easy. And I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what's going through his head at that moment. And he knows it. Look at his face after the goal goes in. He knows it. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I've said just about the Lindelof thing is disgraceful. And, and, you know, these are two mistakes born of uh, essentially exhaustion, basically. These these are mistakes born. They're the kind of mistakes you make when you're tired or dehydrated or do you know what I mean? Like the thing that you would normally always do, you fail to do under those circumstances. Because when you're dehydrated, like a 2% drop in hydration levels leads to a massive kind of fall in um perception of danger and like it must have been the heat perception and all yeah. this kind of thing no Deepest no no eastern germany in in uh no, in the middle no, of december I'm, yeah well uh, it, you don't doesn't need to be hot for you to run around for 90 minutes and if you're not you know if if you're if you're tired or you know stress all these kind of things like these are things that lead to humans making mistakes now elite level professional footballers this is the whole thing about being an elite level athlete is you're meant to be able to do the thing that you can do under these kind of conditions. And this was what United spectacularly failed to do yesterday. And the thing about it is like all mitigation aside, this keeps happening. Yeah. Like we won three, one at the weekend. It's one of the worst performances you'll ever see in your life until they decide, Oh, well maybe we should be good now for 15 minutes which is what they were good for. And that was enough because the level of quality is such that it was. It was nearly enough last night. Yeah, yeah. No. This game finished, this game somehow finished 3-2. United honestly, actually came out positively after the break, right? Uh, and that's what they needed to do against this Leipzig side, not allow them to be put into pressure in, in those defensive, in a defensive third of the pitch uh, and instead turn that around, right? And, and for much of the second half, United were able to do that. Took a lot of shots. A lot of them were sort of speculative, low XG shots, um, hit the bar with a, a set piece, um, created a few opportunities uh, and and looked like they were getting back into the game until that 
third goal. And then, you know, penalty, extra goal, and nearly equalised with the own goal um, right at the death. But... But all of that feels incidental to the absolute defensive mess. I mean, you can't you can't win any game at any level if you defend like that. Yeah, I mean, Kaylee on Twitter he put on he put one of his XG graphs and said like, "Oh, look, it's not United's worst game or Leipzig's best." I'm like, Did you, "This is this is one where I feel like you've just looked at the dots and you haven't looked at the game because yeah, United created quite a high volume of shots and." So be it. But the the scale of poor defending in that game is just... Oh, well, it's off the scale, isn't it? It's ev- it? It was one of United's worst performances, actually, because all three of the goals were the result of utterly disastrous defensive play. So if you concede three goals in a must-draw European qualifying game and because you were absolutely abysmal on all the goals, maybe that is uh, not... You shouldn't just be looking at the little dots and going, hmm, I don't think I'm all that bad. <laughs> no, I know. I, I mean, look, and then, you know, zooming out a little bit from uh, from that piece of analysis, um, Solskjaer's gone into that game with five at the back and two holding in front of them, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's gone in his head, hasn't it? The fact that they only needed a draw has really got in his yeah, head in completely. that game. And we, we said this on the preview, like, he might get caught between stick or twist. And if he does try and... Because, you know, I don't know who this was. Um, one of our friends on Twitter, it might have been Nick, Man United Youth. So even the thing... I can't remember who it was, though, so sorry if it's wrongly attributed. Even the thing that we were doing well, that you could say reliably Ole was doing well. In fact, to mention this on the show last week, um, that we can't sit back and soak up and hit teams on the break anymore. Like that thing, that's gone. We can do the hitting teams on the break part, but we can't do the sit back and soak. Like United are useless at trying to soak up pressure. Useless because the merest hint of um, some sort of pattern of attacking play from the opposition and they're just at sixes and sevens. And I think you're absolutely right. A massive part of this is because they're switching formations every week and they're playing two games a week. So, when when are you getting the coaching time to 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 drill formations into people to do the Roy Hodgson tie your four defenders together in a line to get them to move up and down? This stuff's muscle memory. It requires really serious repetition, and you haven't got the time to do that. So you're relying on then football the the, the players' individual footballing intelligence, which with this back four five, especially if you've got Luke Shaw, is a very big mistake because <laughs> yes. this is not their strongest attribute. No, and, and certainly not. I mean, I think actually all four, five of them, depending on how many, I mean, Tellez will see, but mm, I, I suspect that there's not a lot of uh, defensive instinct in there. A lot of them demonstrate a lot of footballing. What's, it, what's, the, what's the antonym of intelligence? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's stupidity yeah. in this case. Right, a lot of footballing stupidity. You know, this is dumb and dumber and dumberist um, at the back. And it's... It's just over and over again. You're right. It's it's this is a pattern and um and look, fair enough. They're playing a lot of games. Maybe not working on it as much as they'd like to, and having those sessions. But yeah, the Ollie and his team have been in the job two years now. Two years. But the, the, I'm not saying it's mitigation that they they're not they haven't got the time on the training pitch. I'm saying. It's it's a very good reason not to constantly change the system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because what like, like No, you're right. Look, they, ha- they played a flat back four last night, and I'm not arguing that three, four or whatever is bet one one's better than the other. 
Um, but if they played just a straight four at the back, they wouldn't have made those the same mistakes. I mean, they might still have lost. Who knows? But I think it'd have been in a different way. Uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's just it's just so bad. I mean, the irony, of course, is. Uh, um, I, I think we'll probably have a conversation about this. But if um, if Paris somehow managed to Paris Saint Germain managed to lose in the um, reorganized game tonight, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, United will be going out because of that absolute mess of a third goal that we conceded at Old Trafford to them. But probably won't come to that. Um, I imagine. Um, but uh, oh, there's still hope, folks. <laughs> no, there isn't. So yeah, uh, what what has to happen? No, no, it doesn't matter. To... Uh, yeah, Paris Saint Germain right. can lose twenty five nil, and they'd still be second oh. because it's on head to head. Okay, that's a that's that's what can only be described as a real shame. Because um, we're in the Europa League. <laughs> oh man, I hate it. I hate it here. I, I hate the Europa I, League. I hate, I hate it the so Europa much. League. I, I, I don't, I've never enjoyed. It. I, I mean, I went to the bloody final when we got there, <laughs> and I hate that as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just there's just something about it. I mean, it was great picking the trophy up and all that. Uh, you know, lots of fans, and you know, when fans used to go to football, but uh, it's the bloody Europa. So it's always got that stench of like loserdom, hasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, um, and then last year we added actual loserdom to the stench of loserdom by losing in the semi-final. Um, yeah, it's just kind of you kind of knew it was going to happen. You saw that group draw, and you knew it was going to happen. And then <laughs> Pete PSG really good, right? Really good tactical performance. Ollie's got ahead of himself because of that. Then we like Marcus Rashford's innate goodness was too much for Leipzig to handle. And uh, he was, you know, on a high from destroying the government. Um, and then Istanbul happened. And the the sloppiness, the complacency, the, the just sheer wanton awfulness of the defending in that game. Um, then United are really up against it because we've got the, the nightmare combination of Paris at home, where we are consistently terrible. And, you know, that game we talked about, at length about it a week ago and then this game was always going to be he never wanted to be going into this game needing something out of it but I have to say part of me thinks actually the one thing it would have been maybe all right is if we'd needed a win because a big part of this I think like I said earlier is is the fact that we needed a draw got in Ollie's head yeah stuck betwixt and between and, and I think that's right I mean clearly clearly Ollie's just thought yeah well I you know gambling on this um, my choice is to not gamble. I'm going to, you know, uh, stick everything on both or the defensive side of things. And <laughs> it, it, it's um, it, United paid a very heavy price as a result. But um, and this was this was always the chance. Once uh, we'd lost that Istanbul game, you know, yeah, go, yeah go, a very poor side who's likely only points in this group um, have come in that game, and that's the key yeah. one because losing at home to Paris Saint-Germain last season's finalist and RB Leipzig, away to RB Leipzig last season's semi-finalist, is not really that much of a surprise with a, you know, a reasonably mediocre United side and certainly a very inconsistent one. Yeah, so let's have a conversation about the manager then, because obviously... Oh, I, I thought you wanted to have a deep conversation about the uh, Europa League. You don't want to talk about the, you know, the <laughs> what's, what's going on. We've got the draw no. next week, next Monday, I think. It's the 14th. And yeah, and we've made we've made an official decision on this podcast that um, if we get some two bit 
whatever team in the round of 32. I'm not staying up late on a Thursday night to record a show to come out on a Friday morning. If we get a big team, we'll talk about it. But um, the uh, the Leipzig game, to go back to it, um, I mean, one of the things, you know, we beat them 5-1, right, at, at Old Trafford. So jumping to conclusions about the relative merits of the two coaches or whatever seems, you know, it's very easy to be reactive about where United are at. But I, and and a lot of people are rampantly Solskjaer out. Now, most of those people, and I identify with this strongly, having experienced it with multiple United managers in the last 10 years or seven years, um, a lot of people are rampantly wanting him out because they rampantly never wanted him in the first place. And sure. that won't half colour your, uh, your take on these things. And a lot of people think that anyone who wants Ole out is a stupid, feckless, internet troll fan who doesn't understand the culture of the club. Well, a lot of people and being, I've... what, Tim Long? No, that that's there, there are a lot of, I hate this phrase, it's very reductive, but let's just say top reds who would say that anyone who kind of like it hints that Solskjaer might not be up to the job is just um is just a a, a Johnny come lately who doesn't understand what football not a about. real fan as Fergie might say yeah exactly and i think both of those positions are wide of the mark um cuz i do think it was worth giving Solskjaer a shot in some ways cuz of well you kind of had to anyway once once what had happened had happened um and there's been some really awesome highs under Solskjaer. And um, it's funny talking about that as if it's sort of like, I'm sort of saying it in the past tense. Um, there might be some still. Um, but at some point, this club's going to have to hire the right man for the job. And they have been really bad at doing that for a really long time. Because the people that are defending Solskjaer and sort of saying everything he's done is great, you know... I mean, there's a lot. There are a lot of limitations. There are a lot of yeah. limitations. I, I think to to come to the conclusion that everything Ollie has done is great, you have to be very selective with your evidence, right? You just have to not take the big picture at all and just look at the positives and group that all into a narrative that says I project out from those positives to a positive future, um, which is uh, what a few people do. Uh, but I just it's just not it's just not right. Right. You, you know, you, you only need to see the evidence with your eyes. Um, and I do like to use more sources than just my eyes. Uh, but my eyes last night tell me that something is going badly wrong with the coaching. Yeah, and and yeah. so um, that's enough to say, hmm. Right, there's a there's a bit of a problem here, and and you know even the generous take on that, which is something along the lines of Ollie is very inexperienced as a manager, especially at this kind of level. Well, only at this kind of level, he's very he's pretty experienced in general. Yeah, um, and yes, I, you know what, this is his seventh season as a manager, something like that. Um, uh, so yes, there's quite a bit of experience there, and and he was a reserve coach before that. Um, but but first season in Champions League football, um, so let's be generous and say he's learning on the job and making mistakes as he goes along. And the problem is, though, that his team don't seem to be learning from those mistakes. So I don't have evidence that he is. So my ability to take all the positives and project forward 
are always coloured by all of the negatives. And that's just about the team and the coaching. And then lay on top of that United's complete inability to consistently bring in players who are able to perform to the level we'd want uh, for the right kind of money um, so that they have enough money left over not just to pay the Glazers, but to invest, continue to invest in the squad in wages um, and and uh, purchases. And, and, and so I, I, it all kind of comes to this kind of theory that, you know, we just take one event at a time as a club and try and react to that. And that's why we get these managers with completely different philosophies and outlooks on what's going on and then a whole rash of new players. And we go from like these shiny players to, no, it's all about youth. Uh, which was translated into the all about it's all about British youth translated into Edison Cavani this summer, who was acquired two months after he was available on a free transfer, and and just like all this kind of stuff, so stacks and stacks of evidence that says to me that you know Ollie's inexperienced, he's making a lot of mistakes, he's got no one around him to correct it. I mean, he's got Mike Phelan, who I don't think was ever there as part of Fergie's team, as being the tactical genius in the camp, you know. I think I've been not being unfair in saying that. That's, it was Carlos Quiroz who's brought in for that. Um, and you've got Michael Carrick, who's a child in coaching terms, and Kieran McKenna, who's not much older um, in coaching terms. And so you've got this team that collectively might not be up to scratch. The head man who might not be up to scratch. A structure around them that definitely isn't up to scratch. And 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 just I find it hard to put all that together and say, yeah, it's obvious that we've got a a positive future. Actually, I think you know finishing around fourth and fifth in the Premier League, third last season, you know, goal difference or whatever, and occasionally making the Champions League, and maybe if we have a good year, getting out of the group stages is about par for the status of this club right now. I mean, that's absolutely definitively the case, isn't it? There's just no way because, you know, it always gets thrown back to Fergie and it's, it's, it's so hard not to do it. I just want you just want to do it all the time because it's this kind of t- gargantuan point of reference. But we're much closer to it being 10 years since Fergie than we are to it being what I don't know. I can't I'm very bad. I'm very bad at doing maths quickly. But in in less than three years time, it will be 10 years since yeah. Fergie. Um, and and so like this is now in football terms Fergie even if you parachuted Fergie in today he'd have a big job on his hands just to adjust to how much football's changed in the last seven years I mean he would have done it obviously you know if he was 10 years younger or whatever he could easily have done it because he's the greatest of all time by a massive distance um but he it we are no we're just nowhere we haven't won the league for seven years if we win the league in the next seven years, that's uh, that's going to require some big substantial changes. Now, big substantial changes are possible. So, for example, um, not let's not take Leicester as a kind of uh, a case in point because that was that was a, a pretty random assortment of circumstances. Although, you know, they they did clearly get some very key hires right in terms of the playing stuff. Um, Let's have a look at what's happening at Tottenham right now. Now, everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, you idiots, you thought Jose Mourinho was finished and now he might win the league with Tottenham. Way. It's like, okay, fine. Yep, more than happy to say, okay, no, turns out he wasn't, he's not actually finished. He just needs the right 
project, as it were. But the reason Tottenham are where they are is because of Maurizio Pochettino, right? This is this is what happened. They brought Pochettino in and he radically altered the culture of that club, taking them from not not also runs, not you know, just completely a mid-table obscurity, never going to get relegated, might occasionally tickle the Champions League places if they get an exceptional squad together. But anyway, he built something and now Mourinho's come in and been doing his Mourinho thing and it's working for now. We'll see how long it works for. Um, United need a cultural shift of that scale now. They don't need to... The problem, I think the kind of cultural problem is that Solskjaer is trying to make them back into the United that they were. He, he That's his point of reference all the time. And he says and it like, all the time. So I don't think it's a stretch to, to come to that conclusion. No, exactly. Uh, but that's not what we need. We need someone... Oh, I'm not saying it doesn't have to be Solskjaer. I don't think he's got in him. It doesn't look like it, but who knows? We need... What United need is not someone to make United great again. Like this is, um, that's not that's not the mission here. It's it's reinvention that's required, not uh, nostalgic reimagining. Sure, yeah, and look, your the reference with Tottenham. Um, I mean, we'll see with Mourinho where it goes. History tells us that that the players will burn out, and and we'll see whether he's got enough in that squad to to take them to where he thinks you know he can take them. We'll yeah. see. Uh, and and you know it's it's early i'd say in this season to start um making premature um conclusions uh, about where they'll finish but we'll see but the structure behind it i mean they work on a budget that's about a third of united's wage budget um or yeah little less than half which is quite a lot in football terms um but uh, and they don't actually have a director of football as such. Um, their, their their structure isn't that much different than United's, but they do have someone who's the de facto di- director of football, um, or at least the chief negotiator, who does seem to understand football and have the right connections and can get deals done. And they have the the chief, you know, the chief. Uh, what's he called? At, um, He's got a special name at Spurs. He's not a chief scout, but... Um, but like the, player acquisition guy. Yeah, the player acquisitions guy who is deep into football. Um, and, and they believe they have a structure that works. You know, it's not the same one, let's say Liverpool, who have the, the famous committee, but are hell-bent on on putting the right system into place um, to get most of their acquisition and coaching decisions right. right. Not all of them. They make mistakes, but not all of them, um, but most of them. Or, or City, who have a very traditional European setup with a general manager um, and a director of football and scouting analytics departments beyond, beyond that, and so on, right? Who is the is the kind of norm in European terms, right? So you know they've got three different systems there, but are trying to aim towards the same goal. Versus United, who we have no structure like that. We've got Woodward and his chums from Bristol University, you know, ex bankers who are swanning off around Europe, believing they can pull this off and congratulating themselves and having, like, you know, public daisy chains whenever they get a player that they think that's that's been a success. But actually, almost none of it has been a success. Almost none of it. Even in the last few years, Bruno Fernandes papers over every bloody crack here. Um, and, you know, Maguire... Just, a, just it just it just doesn't even look half the player of the fee they paid, and it does make a difference the fee, you know. And I know it's used as a 
a stick on social media to kind of bash United fans with. But the reason that makes a difference is because the 40 million they paid too much is 40 million that could have gone into a different player, you know? Um, and, and, and I won't list them because it's boring, but, you know, so many questions over so many of the acquisitions. And this is what you get as a result, you know? It's inevitable. And, and, and all of that is absolutely 100% accurate. But the thing is, never mind Mourinho, let's leave him to one side. But the thing that Tottenham got more right than anything else was Pochettino. That's that is the thing. They they moved heaven and earth. He had not been at Southampton that long. It, it was it, you you know they they hugely invested in him and his project and backed yeah. him and, and got it right around him. You know the the the, the, uh, but, the fish the fish rots from the head down, doesn't it? You know and 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 as Fergie used to say, the the manager is the most important um, you know, hire, and and it's still right. It's still right, I mean, but everything around it, that manager has got to be right for them to them to succeed. But but every but it's the the thing that I think matters as much as everything around them being right. You can have the best structure in the world. The the coach is absolutely vital. Liverpool's structure hasn't changed since Jurgen Klopp came in, but Liverpool are completely revolutionised by the signing of Jurgen Klopp. That's easily the most. I mean, Salah, Mane, they, they've they've signed well, uh, obviously, but it's. Klopp that's the one and uh, even at City you know Guardiola like is now I think reaching the end of the point at which he can do what he does because that's been his pattern all along just a new contract though (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's crazy um but the the peak that they reached they reached that peak because they built everything to get Guardiola and then they got Guardiola so like it the structures are important but in a way the, the really important job that the structures have is to is to pick the man because football managers are unbelievably important I think I I think you know there's a lot of talk about like oh managers get almost overvalued Roy Keane's big on this um I wonder why (laughs) um uh and and the place is the assistant that really counts yeah (laughs) but the but I just think that that what history shows is that for the most part the football teams that do the best are the ones that have the the best man for the job in the club, running the club, you know. I mean, running the team. Anyway, begin yes. with a nice manager. Should we um should we take a break and then come back and talk about a load of absolutely miserable things that make me want to yeah. smash a something? Yeah. Well, yeah. we can just, uh, Tom can do some of his audio magic and, and the conversation we had last week, he can just replace a few of the names because it's the same one. <laughs> anyway, uh, take a break and see you in a bit. So let's very quickly get Mina Raiola and Pogba. Ah, yes, that one, that one. Picked picked a hell of a week to make an impassioned defence of Paul Pogba on the podcast. (laughs) You were like, stick that up, you Pogba haters. (laughs) And then Mina Raiola was like, ah, hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, so uh, um, Raiola said Pogba is totally done with Manchester United. Um, I mean, it's Mina Raiola. He says stuff like this all the time. He does say it an awful lot about Pogba at Man United, though. And, uh, you know, Paul Scholes, this is a... 
Things you never thought you'd hear. Paul Scholes was absolutely brilliant on BT Sport about this. And he said something really sweet. He said, Mina Raiola is massively misrepresenting Paul, Paul Pogba because everyone thinks Pogba's a bad lad. And like, must be bad in the dressing room or whatever. Pogba's a great lad. And then Rio was like, yeah, but he can't be chipping off. Like, so that was just a very sweet thing. Anyway, then Rio starts saying, can't be saying stuff like that. That's going to mess the dressing room up. Paul Skulls again, would you be bothered really in the dressing room? And Rio was like, yeah, I think so. He goes, that, you know, when Wayne said he wanted to leave, we weren't bothered, were we? And so very clear personality difference. So like, Rio was obviously very bothered. Paul Skulls like, yeah, whatever. You lot do what you like. I'm just going to do my thing. So anyway. I mean, I do think um, after that came out, well, my first instinct when the, the quotes started going around was, hmm, what's he actually said? Because this is a very neat packaged up quote that could well have been um, poorly translated. Uh, uh, my Italian is not good enough to have translated the video that was on the Tudor Sport website. But anyway, it seems to be the gist was fair this time yeah, yeah. Um, of what Raiola said. Uh, and, you know, I do like to separate this out because um, Raiola does, uh, does play these games and has played it with all his clients all the time where he's either trying to create a market or trying to create the engine for a new contract or a bit of both, you know. And he he may be representing some of Pogba's feelings, but he might not be as well because it's less than a year since he was saying, Pogba's delighted, he's uh, working so well with Ali, loves him, loves the club, it's his club, and and actually Pogba has echoed some of those things, you know, um, as well. So I'm kind of, I'm going to take some of this with a pinch of salt. It It may be the first... So the shots in uh, in trying to engineer um, engineer the the next step, you know, and everyone's going to want the best. Ryla's going to want the biggest uh, fee. Pogba's going to want the best, you know, platform and best wages. And United are going to want the best fee, right? Um, so everyone will be sort of dancing around that for a little while. So it doesn't bother me as much as it seems to bother an awful lot of people on on Twitter that Ryla says this. I, I've never seen a player in the history of the game come out and say, make some public statement about their agent. You know, he should shut up. Uh, this is, I've never seen it because you know what? The players are quite loyal to their agents who do well for them. And Raiola does really well. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying he does really well for his clients with his, with his tactics because he put, he boxes, he boxes clubs in all of the time. And now he's boxed United in and they had this, you know, Ollie had this uh, situation last night where he could have dropped Pogba from the entire squad, which is what a lot of people wanted to do. And just wipe thirty million pounds off his fee, you know, because he could never return him to the squad. He'd have to just freeze him out like Mesut Özil, <laughs> um, and, and so he decided not to do that. And actually came out and said, basically shoved it back into Raiola's court and, and said, uh, you know, uh, what, what do you say after the game? Raiola should realise that this is a team sport, um, and uh, we're all wor- working towards the same goals. Mm. basically, you know, he wasn't going to have a go at his player because that will definitely go down badly in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, I mo- most of this I've been, I've felt quite sanguine about it. I haven't felt particularly angry about it. Well, maybe we'll get to the, that space later. We'll see how this all plays out. Um, and uh, and I, I was reminded of Wayne Rooney, who literally put out a press release eviscerating the owners and the club and saying mm. that he didn't believe... The club had any ambition. He wanted to move, you know. And then all these stories came out that he's trying to move to Manchester City. And that turned out to be completely maybe true. 
Um, he's kind of denied that and said that was definitely an option and said that yeah, Chelsea... No, he's, was, he's overtly denied. He said City was absolutely never an option. Yeah, that's yeah. What he said. I, I don't believe it because it kind of came from the City side that it definitely was an option. Um, but he said, yes, Chelsea and yes, um, Real Madrid was the other yeah. real option. But what he really wanted was Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, we all want that. Yeah, yeah. it's nice to want things, Wayne. He would have been brilliant in that Barcelona side, but I saw a lot of people being like, oh, lol, Wayne Rooney thinks he was good enough at that Barcelona side. He'd have been great. He'd have been great. Absolutely unbelievable. Perfect as a false nine. And as he said in that podcast, uh, Messi was playing off the right at that stage and and he'd have been perfect in that that false nine role. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Instead, he got to slowly rot at Man United. Um, uh, Yeah, so I kind of agree with everything he said. I was a bit more about it than you i think um mostly just because of the timing when when's it going to be good timing anytime no, I, no, I, I, I don't mean i don't mean sorry just to be clear i don't mean the timing for manchester united in the like, oh, yeah, day yeah. before an absolutely crucial because it made you the look, look like a bit of a tit in public exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. much more self-interested yeah um all right uh I don't know whether I've got it in me to have a really big conversation about this, but I just wanted to say some things. Yeah. Um, anybody who is uh, looking at the semantics of what happened with the Romanian fourth official and saying, oh, well, it's it, it wasn't using insulting language. Um, he singled out the coach based on his race. That's all you need to know. That is insulting language. Look, if you don't care about this, if you really, really don't care, then there's something wrong with you. Uh, and that something wrong is probably about your understanding of it. If you actually don't care about this. Because look at Demba Bar's face when he's talking to the referee after the incident. Look at the frustration, the the familiarity of experience of that. Look at that coach's uh, face while he's saying, why did he call me Negro? Because he wasn't saying, why did he pick that word? He was saying, why, why are you singling me out based on my race? And if you are black, like, this is not my experience. This is an experience that I have, um, people have, shared with me about their experience and the experience of people they know being singled out and separated on the basis of race is an extremely familiar experience. So that is why this matters. Um, I I thought the fact that Istanbul and Paris Saint-Germain both walked off the pitch and refused to play under those conditions was absolutely appropriate because um, the UEFA giving it the big one about no to racism and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and, and one of their officials uh, making a, singling a, a player out, a, a coach out based on his race. This is, this should not be stood for in any way. So that's my, there you go. 100%. I mean, it's pretty much what I said in uh, 140 characters last night. You know, I, I'm sick of the kind of othering of, of black players black people and um if you want to call me like woke who's only saying this because it's trendy well you can go yourself um and you know royally uh with a big one uh you know you have a problem and uh sorry i'm not being as eloquent as uh, you are in your analysis there um but this is totally wrong uh, and um i fully support demba bar uh 
said it perfectly, actually. I, I think uh, Weibo, the coach, um, didn't quite have the English to articulate what he was saying in quite the way that Denver Barr did, you know, who said you would, you know, you think you called him out because he was black and you wouldn't have done that if he was white. All right. It's, yeah, it's quite clear. It's not about the semantics. It's not about, you know, something cultural to do with Romanian, the Romanian language. Um, and and if it is something, well, um, and if it is something cultural to do with the Romanian language, um, you need to look at the culture. Uh, and at the risk of being called a cultural imperialist again, um, othering black people by using language like that is is not all right. And it's definitely not all right in a, an environment um, in which we're all pretending that racism doesn't exist, you know, in yeah. football. Uh, or with all or our... like actively campaigning on anti-racist grounds, you know, yeah. I'm talking about UEFA, you know, say no to oh, racism, yeah, yeah. like that's... Um, uh, and, and in an environment in which, which uh, players and fans don't get punished uh, for, for yeah, racism and this kind of casual language is just accepted. Uh, and 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 Istanbul and Paris didn't accept it last night, and yeah. and Weber the coach and Denver Bar the player didn't accept it either. Mm. Uh, and and the audio is horrible, by the way. You know, yeah. there's um, it's just it's it's really horrible. There's there's no uh, ambiguity about no. how he was, uh, you know, and and the kind of and I'm reading too much in it. The tone in his voice, the black one, the black one. You can't do that. Mm. The black one. He says it multiple times. So I, yeah, yeah, just just disgusting, it's, and and yeah. they'll play the game again tonight, and they've swapped out all the officials, um, and UEFA, I presume, will try and sweep this under the carpet. But um, you know, maybe this is a watershed moment. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't think it will be at all because I think I think what we're seeing is that the more racism gets talked about, and this always happens, the more racism gets talked about, the stronger the backlash is. I mean, we didn't really talk about the Millwall stuff because it hadn't really broken out since, you know, it hadn't really unfolded. But, you know, the Millwall people are doing the thing that lots of people on that side of the debate, debate in invert, that's not the right word, on that side of the... Yeah, that's life, the words they the used life, in their press release. Well, not Millwall, it was the Millwall Supporters Club did that. Yeah, there, exa- yeah, exactly. That side of the evil perpetrators of everything that's wrong with the world. Um, you know, the, the, this is about BLM, the organisation, it's a Marxist organisation, any Premier League players kneeling or championship players kneeling are supporting defunding the police like you just don't like it you just don't like it when people point out systemic oppression yeah. because you like systemic oppression and you know the qpr players taking the knee when they scored uh, against millwall was you know it it gets you right in the the heart or in the in the gut but those you know it's all bad faith arguments and we know it's bad faith arguments and and they know it's bad faith arguments um and and it's just this desperate this desperate attempt to cling on to the idea i mean in some cases it's white supremacy that's that's what it is it's it's just people who are just racist and in a way those people I'm just go okay well you that's that's your world view it's evil and it perpetrates great harm but at least you're being honest about your worldview do you know what i mean like that's that's who you are and what you believe and wouldn't it be beautiful if no one believed what you believe but here we go um but this kind of like 
ugly uh, manipulation is based on people just being uh, too afraid to acknowledge reality, essentially. And when their version of reality is confronted, like like this, the kind of virtue signaling, the, the, the people shout virtue signaling as soon as you start talking about this, the fact that you're kind of accused of being too politically correct, like, ladies and gentlemen, I would just like to reassure you, if you are concerned about whether Ed is too politically correct or not, I can tell you that he is definitely not, <laughs> because we have had many experiences wherein Ed is perfectly comfortable not being in the least bit politically correct about things. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is not you, is it? You are not someone who's walking around desperately trying to toe a line of political correctness. You talk, you were talking from the heart about what we believe about things, you know? Well, steady, <laughs> steady, steady on. And people might be getting a... The wrong, uh, the oh, wrong no. impression like, of me here. No, no, no. Just I'm, I'm not being, you know, it's, I'm not on, on this podcast... Um, railing against racism and the the, the systems that um, create oppression and in my private life <laughs> saying something no, completely no, no. different. No, no I, what I'm, that's exactly, no, sorry if I conveyed that impression, that was not my intent. What I mean is you are not somebody who is, uh, you are somebody who cares passionately about issues of social justice. You're not someone who is striving to create an impression. That's what, that's what <laughs> just, I'm saying. I know, I know you meant that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the listeners just, might not, they're like, whoa, you know, as soon as he switches the mic off, he turns into Alf Garnet, doesn't he? So. No, 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 not at all. But I just mean it's not like you go through your life trying to be politically correct. It's it, you know that I can't think of many people who that applies to less. No, no, and I, I did get someone who who was saying that. There's the one other post which was great, and I can't remember who, the Twitter handle, but uh, he said, "Oh, you know, he's just doing this because it's uh, it's fashionable." Uh, when uh, he was quite happy to call Wayne Rooney a uh, a, a granny shagger from a council estate when it suited him. I, I didn't quite. I couldn't quite fit the two narratives together. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you never would have mentioned council estate. No, I, I definitely wouldn't that. have done. But uh, uh, didn't didn't grow up with a silver spoon. So um, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, but none the, of this the, actually. None of the the reaction doesn't bother me uh, on the like the micro examples and just kind of giving them because they're, they're kind of amusing, but. The overall reaction, I think, is pretty is pretty disturbing. The yeah the the heavyweight defense uh, or you know inability to realize why this was a problem or the mental gymnastics that the Millwall Supporters Club went through in that press release they put out, um, saying that Millwall supporters were booing the uh, defacing of the Churchill statue. Uh, I mean, it's a stunning press release if you you get the chance to read it. Because it's just, it's all It's all and completely made up in total bad faith to try and defend something that was completely indefensible. And by the way, if you're in any doubt, the Premier League and the Championship, um, for what it's worth, have made very clear that this is a statement against discrimination writ large. Uh, not about support of any particular organisation or, um, or in fact, movement as such, which there was, you know, more of a tie to, wasn't there, earlier in the year. Um, mm. uh, and, and, you know, personally, I think the movement is the thing that matters, not a organisation with a written manifesto, uh, yeah. you know, and a few people um, who've got a policy position, 
um, that probably isn't shared by the mass of people that have demonstrating, demonstrated um, around the world, including many footballers. Sanjay Bandari from Kick It Out uh, wrote a beautiful Twitter thread about it. I just wanted to read a couple of things. He said, taking a knee is a gesture that's been driven by the players and supported by the clubs and leagues. Players do it to, and by the way, Kick It Out, get their fair share of criticism from various different sources but anyway players do it to highlight the fight for racial equality is explicitly not an endorsement of any political movement and this is the thing i thought was the the most pertinent of all the tweets every time there's a greater public focus on the fight against racial discrimination there is always a backlash racists rarely admit that they're racists they try to hide their backlash under a seemingly respectable quote yeah cloak and you know um you get these tory politicians quoting martin luther king and you're like you know what your people did to Martin Luther King? Like, do you wanna do you wanna have a little bit of a look at the history? Look at the the right wing coverage of Martin Luther King of the time. Like, this is this is what you lot, and I'm very happy to other Tory, certain type of Tory MP, this is what you lot do in circumstances like this. So anyway, uh, having talked about a load of absolutely miserable, heartbreaking things, uh, we now preview the Manchester Derby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't want to segue into talking about Christmas and uh, and the, the joy of something. I don't know. I can't um, even, I, I, can't I even come what, up with something that's joyful. I tell you what, there is a lot of joy in some of this. And that is that this stuff is not being accepted. People are being completely bold about their fight back against these things. So there's joy in the activism. There's joy in the the collectiveness of the activism. And and if it was, you know, if there weren't people like the Millwall fans who booed, we wouldn't need to take a knee. If there weren't people like that fourth official, we wouldn't need protests. We do need protests. But, and that's a, a bad thing that we need the protests. But this is why the protests are happening. And, and the reaction to the protest tells you everything you need about why the protests are happening. So uh, there is, there's hope inherent in the subject as painful and, and, I mean, I, you probably hear it in my voice. I can't get through conversations about this subject very easily. This subject in particular is the, is almost the thing in the world that I find the most heartbreaking and difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, the, there will be a backlash to, to this, um, the latest incident. Uh, there's a, an attempt to organise by, you know, certain far-right groups, um, including UKIP. I didn't even know they still existed. I thought they'd changed into 15 different parties, but uh, who are currently led by Neil Hamilton, Hamilton for, former Tory MP, well, the disgraced uh, former Tory MP who tried to cheat at a game show or something, you know. Their mayoral candidate is called Peter Gammons, and his website is Gammons for London. <laughs> no, <I'm totally laughs> okay. Anyway, look, Manchester but, Derby. But, nominative determinism. Uh, I think yeah. that's called. Anyway, yes, the Man- Manchester Derby. I, I mean, it's going to be interesting because normally I'd come into a conversation about the Manchester Derby going, hmm, we're going to get fucked. And mostly that's that's in recent, at least under Ollie, that's not been true. Um, one one um, one occasion where uh, I think it was a Carabao Cup semi-final, wasn't it, when uh, City completely obliterated us. Uh, but actually a lot of very positive results um, in this kind of shape and formation that Ollie seems to get his best results in, which is sort of sitting back and trying to play on the break with with pace up front. Um, it's complicated a little bit this time because United's performances are so inconsistent and defensively so bad. And City are just warming up a little bit. Uh, I mean, sort of. Uh, 
so, sort of. I know it's not great their series of results, um, but they, well, they still do Burnley. create a lot of chances, which is they, the thing I'm worried about. You know, yeah, and, and, they, and sort of moving. So I, I don't know exactly how this one will turn out. No, so the, the, that run of results, they drew one all with Liverpool at uh, the Etihad. They lost two 0 to Spurs in, uh, you know, a game where it could have gone the other way, although the number of times that Mourinho beats Guardiola and you go, well, it could have gone the other way, but it actually didn't go the other way. There's a kind of a pattern there anyway. They scraped past Olympiacos, then they absolutely smashed Burnley. And I think that that's the that's the game where it kind of felt like they were warming up. But that that's a that was a kind of blip, really. They they couldn't beat Porto. Yeah, in... it created a huge amount of chances in that Porto game. I mean, they should have beaten Porto. Yeah. And then they beat Fulham 2-0. Uh, and I guess they had half an eye on the Marseille game uh, in that, that one. So... Um, it's uh, it's a complicated old uh, thing trying to an- analyse this because if it goes to form, City should absolutely destroy United. Uh, I guess the, the 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 interesting question in terms of a preview is what on earth is that starting eleven going to look like? Are we going to? S- I mean, I kind of feel like the only real chance because he, he might bring Fred back. McTominay's playing terribly at the moment. Like, it's just not... Like, I don't know how you look at recent form and go, we should play Fred and McTominay together. But that's that's the one double pivot you could look at that has some sort of, you know, defensive stability-ish. The Matic one definitely doesn't. But I actually think you should just do away with all of that and just just try and play all the good players. Yeah. I mean, what... Um, I think, look, you can, you can say a few things will definitely happen in this game. City will have 60% plus possession, maybe even more than that, and they will likely create a lot of chances. And, and so the, the goal is to, to reduce the... Um, sorry, being nerdy. Reduce the XG of all those chances, right? So you know, try and uh, make them difficult chances, not easy chances. And, and likely the way Oli's going to see that is is to reduce the amount of times United get caught in the transition um, and make City play in front of us. Yeah, So it looks like they have a, the ball in all sorts of um, uh, difficult positions, but in reality they're taking long shots and difficult angles and all that kind of stuff, which is what happened in the Spurs versus City game. Uh, and, um, and, and, and Oli has pulled off a few times playing them. So I expect that's, the, that's how United will set up, you know, fairly defensively. And just try not to get caught. Of course, all that uh, all that depends on doing the basics of defending, doesn't yeah, that's, it? That's it. And you just watch <laughs> the that absolute Leipzig basic game. parts of this. Yeah, you watch that Leipzig game and go, "Oh, and now we're going to play City and try and stop them." That is utterly terrifying. It's utterly terrifying. Um, United have three players out. One of them. Do you know this? Phil Jones. Been injured since November the 27th, apparently. Phil is still out until probably after Christmas sometime. Um, so there you go. Uh, Anthony Martial on December the 5th. Ole said, hopefully it's not too bad, but couldn't carry on. Uh, we'll do scans and hopefully he'll be available soon, but no talk about when he'll be back. And Edinson Cavani, that game as well. Hopefully not too bad, but he couldn't carry on. Wait a minute, that's the same. It's the same exact quote. So Physio Room have made a mistake um, <laughs> at some point. Um, but there's your like, research been, has been rumbled, Dan Sorge. Well, no, I'm just reading. I'm reading from Physio Room, and they are literally the t- the same two quotes for for Martial and, and Cavani. But anyway, uh, Physio Room giving 
and Martial a 25% chance of playing, uh, but Cavani, they're saying, is ruled out. I think we'll know more sooner to the time. But actually, that's really important because uh, the Rashford-Greenwood front two, neither of them are experienced... Well, Rashford has a lot of Premier League experience as a number nine, but it doesn't seem to be where you get the best out of him. Greenwood, I think, absolutely is a natural number nine in the kind of uh, what football manager would call a complete forward role. Um, like Robin Van Persie, that's, I'm just saying, I'm, he's just Robin Van Persie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he hasn't played a great deal of Premier League football as a number nine, so, you know. Yeah, and, and it'll matter and um, exactly how United can uh, line up in that front three or front two will, will dictate the shape as well. So, you know, I suspect quite heavily we'll see, still see the 3-5-2 or 5-3-2. Um, just because because of the available personnel um, and how he's going to want to play in the in the central midfield, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, Matic is a real problem if United are going to get caught, right? So if United are going to get caught with any space, if he's just sitting there, um, he's not going to be going in putting the reducers around, and he's not playing well either, by the way. <laughs> Um, but he, he'll use the ball reasonably sensibly and be able to get it into the channels where hopefully United have some runners, you know. And we, and we need we'll need one of those days when Bruno's able to get on the ball in in uh, in you know far far enough upfield that he's able to make things happen. Um, but he's probably not going to get the ball very much you know, just because yeah. of the nature of this game. So what then we're also going to need is for his kind of like wonder stuff to come off more than it doesn't yeah which, and then there's yeah. another, another question you know if you're not going to sit so deep do you really need seven strung out in front of the goalkeeper you know is is there an argument for playing a ball player whether it's van der Beek or, or Pogba in front of them uh there's there is an argument and the argument is if they don't they're absolutely off their skulls like it's a vital you've got to have one of van der Beek or Pogba in that midfield if you if we don't but likely we'll have neither right and it will be a Fred and Fred will be back and it'll be a Fred plus McTominay or, or Matic and I suspect it's probably Matic big game Ollie will probably go for that and and I, that's that's going to be a disaster that's that's my bold prediction if that if that's the starting lineup I'm going to be because we see it time and again where you you there's just such a distance between midfield and attack when we play those kind of systems so anyway um that will do for the show um we will uh, we'll do some bonus content for backers now. Um, everyone else will see you uh, after the derby. We'll see. I guess we'll do a show for, uh, coming out on Monday. Um, what do you think the score is going to be in the Manchester derby, Ed? No idea. I, I have no idea. None. Me neither. Because I just don't. And it's mostly I don't. I know what City are going to do. I know they're how they're going to play and they're going to create. You know, they'll have. Let's let's analyze this afterwards. They're going to have fifteen shots and create four good chances, and their xG will be two and a half, something like that, to three. And uh, and United should lose with that. But who knows? You know, maybe like Spurs, United are able to fashion two two or three really good chances on the break from nothing sort of situations, uh, and maybe we defend well. It's and the play that. The players do seem to be good at getting themselves up for the Manchester derby. That that you know between Ole and the players, they yeah they do get up for it, and that matters. It really matters, and I don't mean you know just simple terms of like passion. 
I because that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to express their abundant footballing talents. So if they can do that, we've got a real chance. I'm predicting a 2-0 win to City uh, because I'm not feeling optimistic today. And and my re- predictions continue to be wildly reactive based on what's just happened. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say 2 all. Somehow okay, we're going to... I like it. I can't see us not conceding, honestly. No, but I could I could easily see us scoring a bunch of goals and putting some really good football together and having a really exciting time. So let's I hope, hope so. Let's let's hope we have some something to cheer. Let's yeah, some, something. All right. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you soon.